to bring it with that kind of energy in the room. Oh, man. You guys wore me out on that song. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing great. It's a beautiful weekend for being indoors. Uh, we, are, we are in the middle of our sermon series called Mountaintop, and uh, we're going to tackle a topic today that I hope is, is very uh, valuable. It has been for me just kind of thinking through it. Uh, this is something, and it's pro- probably part of my personality, but this is something that I, I don't think about a lot. I don't address a lot, but I think it's something everybody deals with. Um, but I just want you to imagine, to start us off, imagine a scenario where you go from the mountaintop to, you know, the valley, like in a span of seconds. So you go from elation to some sort of despair in just a few seconds. Imagine, if you can, a scenario where that would happen. So let me, let me set this up for you. Let me show you this first picture. This is a couple, uh, you know, he's just planned everything out. He's got the exact right moment. You know, he wasn't like me where he's kind of winging it, thinking like, oh, this looks good. Let's do this here. He's planned everything out. He's got a trip. You know, they went out to the mountains. Uh, he's going to get down on one knee. You know, maybe he's got some perfect line, you know, that's going to reference something in their relationship. Everything's perfect, right? And he's down there on one knee, and he kind of reaches inside his coat pocket, and he pulls out that, you know, that little box that's been in there for a while. And he's, a, you know, he's nervous, right? He wants the moment to be special. He wants the moment to be memorable, so memorable that, that he, he brought a friend along or a camera, you know, cameraman or a photographer just so they can capture this moment, so they can live this moment, kind of relive this moment forever. They can hang this picture in their house, and they can tell their kids the story of how dad ask mom to marry her, and it's just going to be beautiful. It's just going to be special. This is, a, this is a mountaintop moment. And then because he's a little nervous, he reaches in and he, he opens up that box and he says those words and he begins to pull out the ring and he's shaking a little bit. And I'll show you this next picture. <clears throat> now, what you cannot see in this picture is that, and this is a true story, he dropped it right down a gopher hole. Right? Now this looks like, oops, he just dropped it on the ground, pick it up, dust it off, blow it off, it'll be fine, nope, pick out some dirt, no big deal. Nope, ring is gone. <laughs> Mountaintop, all the way down, not just base camp, but all the way down to the, to the valley pretty quickly. Honestly, and this is the thing, I bet you... I bet you it's a friend that he asked to take the pictures because I think a professional photographer would have kind of looked away, but the friend's like, nope, we're capturing this moment too. I, I, think if it, I actually think it would be awesome if this were the picture that they framed and hung in the living room of their house. It's almost, almost a better story. Mountaintop all the way to the valley just like that. Um, I want to give you another quick example. It's a short video that I want to show you that has this in the world of sports. That, and, and it's pretty self-explanatory, but it's these mountaintop elation victory moments all the way to the depths. And it's just a short little video. We'll watch that. Go ahead and get those lights for me. There we go. Three seconds left. The Cougars can only try a desperation 46-yard field goal. The kick by Dan Chrissy is a good one, but it's well short. It's fielded by Casey Babcock in the end zone. The ball still in play when he spikes it, thinking the game is over. MMU's Jeff Sutherland doesn't stop playing, and it's a good thing he didn't. Picks it up, takes it home, and the Cougars, they win an amazing game, 20-16 the final. The Ironman Brazil, the end of the marathon, victory. Oh, hey, don't forget about the other guy. Morantino also uh, just gapping Nacho for the time being. We're on the final lap <laughs> as he's busy celebrating. And I think, well, either we're miscalculated or he has. 
now he's punching the air he's celebrating i think and i think this race is still going on here and he hasn't realized white team final shot they go up by they go up by one shot of three point what six seconds it's over elation celebrating people running onto the court coach is like well hang on hang on Left. You can go ahead and stop it. Unless you want to keep watching those videos, it might be more enjoyable than what I have to say. But those moments, like those moments when you've, uh, when you've thought, you like, you know, mountaintop victory, hands raised in the air, that poor guy that thought he was first in the race and turns out he's going to be last because he's just, you know, he's showboating. We've all seen it, football players, if you like watching football games. There's this whole, there's, there's articles written about why football players drop the ball right before they cross into the end zone. There's, because, there's something about the elation, the joy, and they'll drop it, and you'll see the, you know, a game-winning football, a, a field, or excuse me, a game-winning touchdown isn't scored because they forgot it. Oregon won last year on one like that. The, the, uh, they were playing Utah. The guy dropped it right before he got in the end zone, and they were celebrating, bumping their you know, chests, hitting themselves, jumping around, screaming, and an Oregon player picked up the ball and ran it back 100 yards, touchdown, put themselves ahead of the game. I mean, there's this, this sense of being on top of the mountain and then just being right at the bottom like that. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, if you've ever felt like, man, this feels good, and then you're just few minutes later, you're like at, at the bottom, at the pit of despair. But I want to talk about those mountaintop to desert moments this morning. And we're going to examine that through the life of a character named Elijah. Elijah. He wasn't a prophet of God. He was the prophet of God. He set the standard. From now on, everybody would be compared to Elijah. Prophets to come in the future and prophets were the ones that went around the, the nation of Israel saying, hey guys, turn back to God. This is what God wants you to do. And that from now on, people were going to be like, he's a pretty good prophet, but he's no Elijah. Elijah was the guy, and he was a prophet in a time where it wasn't popular to be a prophet. The nation of Israel had kind of, they were kind of going back and forth. Some, sometimes they wanted to worship God, and they did the sacrifices in the temple, and sometimes they wanted to worship Baal, and they just couldn't figure out where they wanted to land. But there wasn't any, like, this wasn't a good time to be a prophet. The leadership in charge of Israel was hunting down prophets, killing them, but Elijah was the man. He was brave. He was bold. He was courageous. He was the man. Elijah, or excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 18, if you want to read that with me. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. This is him going before the nation of Israel, and he's like, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. And so he said, okay, like he comes up with this plan to say, listen guys, we got to get this figured out. We got to decide where you're going to land. Is it God? Is it Baal? No more going back and forth. And so if you know the story, you know that he challenged the prophets of Baal, prophets of a false god, to sort of a contest on top of Mount Carmel. And he said, this is what you're going to do. You guys get your best priests. I'll be there by myself. We're going to go on top of the mountain. We're going to set up altars. And then we're just going to pray for God to light them on fire. And so they're like, that sounds good to us. We're in. Sounds like a good contest. Whichever God lights the altar on fire, that's the God we're going to serve. Okay, great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, Elijah is finally starting to build some momentum here. This is good. And so the uh, prophets of Baal set up their altar and they start praying. And of 
praying and praying and dancing and shouting, anything to get their God's attention. But, you know, there's no God listening to them. There's no Baal. And so Elijah, and I love this about Elijah, this is his attitude. This is the type of guy that he was. He was the type of guy that after he scored a touchdown, he would do a dance. He would bump his chest. He starts to taunt these priests. And he starts to say to them, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God, right? I mean, you guys, there's so many of you. Surely you're worshiping something real. And this is what he begins to say. Now, the Bible cleans up the language so much, it makes it sound like he's a nice little prophet. But he doesn't say nice things. He says, perhaps he is deep in thought. You know, maybe he's meditating or busy or traveling. This is a little funny, but the 10-year-old in me has to point this out. The Bible translators didn't think we could handle the real Bible. That word traveling, that doesn't mean traveling. It means answering the call of nature. He says maybe your God's in the bathroom. And he doesn't say nicely, politely. This isn't polite society stuff. Elijah's on the outskirts and he's watching these guys scream and shout and eventually begin to cut themselves. Just anything they can do to feel like they could get their God's attention. And he starts making fun of them. I mean, this is, this, is, uh, this is Elijah playing in the game, and he's running by the, the coach and the sidelines, and he's taunting them. You guys got nothing. You had nothing. What, what's going on here? Come on, bring it. This is what Elijah is doing. We would look at Elijah and be like, Elijah, you're not being a very good sport. I mean, those are, those are fighting words. You better be able to back up what you're doing here because you're putting yourself out there. Of course, nothing happens, and by this time it's night. It's dark out. And the uh, priests of Baal finally give up. They're like, nothing's going to happen. I don't know if there was a time limit, if there was a timer and the clock was going down, and the buzzer hits or whatever it is. Nothing's happening. And finally, uh, at nighttime, it's Elijah's turn. He sets up his altar. And if you know the story, he pours water on it just to, just to really like, hey, you guys, you guys think you had it tough? You couldn't get your God to light your altar? Well, pff, here we go. And he just soaks his altar with water just to make sure they don't think that there's anything uh, sneaky going on. And then he does this. And this is... This is uh, so, like, so you can imagine this moment, like, kind of like out of an epic movie. Verse, eight, verse 36, chapter 18, he says this. Lord, you imagine just the, it's quiet. It's dark, and it's quiet. And there's all these priests of Baal who are tired and bloody, and there's the nation of Israel, people who are gathered to watch this epic showdown, and there's this solitary figure kind of out in the middle there, and I, I bet he gets down on his knees. Maybe he puts his face to the ground, and he says this. He says, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I imagine he's whispering these words. I imagine nobody around him can hear. And you have done all these things at your command. Verse 37, he says, answer me, Lord, answer me. You can imagine a little bit of, he's got faith, but there's a little bit of desperation in there. He's put a lot on the line here. I mean, he wants this to be the moment of revival for his country. He wants this country to come back to God. I mean, this is a special moment. He's pouring his, his heart into this prayer. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I imagine he's there on the ground and there's this silence. Nobody's saying anything. They don't know what to expect. And Elijah kind of gets up, maybe dusts himself off a little bit and there's this, wait, what's going on? Nothing's happened quite yet. Maybe just a little beat and everybody's looking at him like, you better, something better happen here. And then from the sky comes this light. 
And I imagine the whole crowd kind of turns up and looks, and there's this fireball coming down from the sky. And I imagine if you glanced at the faces of the people that were watching this situation unfold, that light would be reflecting as everybody watched this fireball come down from the sky and hit that altar directly. And there's this, this epic movie explosion, and it just burns up the altar, burns up the sacrifice, burns up the water. Everything's gone like that. And I imagine people are watching this come down, watching this explosion. And just because we know uh, what Elijah's like, I bet you he's got his back to the explosion. He's walking away all confidently. Not even looking, you know. He's, he knows he's got this. That's what all the cool guys do in the movies. Probably you know, a little chest bump. I don't know. Probably not, right? And he's watching this whole thing kind of unfold. And then there's, again, I think there's the silence as people like take in what just happened. And then the crowd kind of falls to their knees. In verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell down and they cried. They fell prostrate and they cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know what Elijah's name means? Karina and I were talking about this the other day. His name means the Lord, he is God. I wonder if they were shouting some version of his name a little bit. Elijah, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And you can imagine Elijah. Like this is what his life's work has been. He has been trying to bring this nation back. And he has sacrificed and he has suffered and he has given up. And here is this moment. This is a mountaintop moment. This is the face of triumph. This is the face of victory. I was trying to think of like, you know, I was looking up people who had just won something. You know, their fists are in the air. But the, the, the one I wanted to show you is this kid at Chuck E. Cheese who just won a bunch of tickets, right? That's Elijah. He's like, ah! You know, he's so excited. And Elijah says, all right, let's get these priests of Baal. And everybody chases them down, kill these priests of Baal. It's this epic victory. And Elijah is on the mountaintop. Elijah has demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord, he is God. And this is it. The nation is coming back to God. There's going to be revival in the land. This is it. You can imagine Elijah's just feeling good. His life work, his life's work has finally come to fruition. This is the roll credits, the end. Elijah walks off into the sunset. That's the way the story should have ended. Unfortunately, it's not how it actually ends. This kid, you see his face, he's about to experience profound disappointment when he realizes that it takes about 10,000 tickets to get a stick of gum. (laughs) It's a scam, Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, this is the king of Israel... He's, Ahab's kind of uh, Darth Vader. He's the bad guy. He's bad. But Jezebel, she's, she, she's the, the emperor, Emperor Palpatine. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I've heard of Darth Vader. What's that other stuff? Jezebel's the bad news bears. She's the one that has influenced this, this nation. She's the one that has been just, I mean, Elijah has been on the run. He's been in Israel's top 10 most wanted list, shoot on sight. Because he's trying to get the people back to God. So Ahab, the king, he went and ran and told Jezebel. He's probably crying. I don't know. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal. All the prophets of Baal with the sword. And so this is what Jezebel, this is how she responds. Decrees from on high. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. 
Now, Elijah is like, he's just experienced this mountaintop moment. This is when the nation's coming back. This is revival. This is, this, this is supposed to be it. This is the culmination of his life's work. He can go off and he can find a nice, quiet place, have a little garden, and he can retire. He's done. He's done. And then it says in, in the second half of verse 2, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Mountaintop all the way to desert like that. And in Elijah's case, literally, top of the mountain to the desert, he just runs. He runs away. This is supposed to be the moment, and he's got nothing to show for it. Nothing has changed. Nothing is better. He's still on the run. The, the nation hasn't come back to God. This, nothing. It's kind of funny, in, in verse 4, he came to a broom bush, it says, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Now, we're, we're on the outside looking in. This feels a little melodramatic, right? Like, come on, you just saw God do something. Sure, it didn't result in what you wanted, but he's crawling under a bush, and I'm, it's, it's time to take me now, God. Take me, Jesus. You know, I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, I tried, failed. Take me now, Jesus. You know, I just can't deal with it anymore. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush, and he fell, fell asleep. Didn't want to wake up again. Didn't want to wake up. Have you ever been in a place kind of like that? Just, just at the bottom. Like, at the bottom. There's a word we use, and this is the thing I don't know that we talk about in church a lot. I think we like to pretend things are good in church all the time. So, how are we doing? We're doing great. How's, how's life? Oh, it's great. Things are fantastic. We use all these superlatives to describe how life is, but it's not always that way. There's this word we use, discouragement. And it's when you're at the bottom. It's when you don't want to give up, get up. It's when you don't want to do anything anymore. It's when you've prayed and nothing happened and you're done. It's when you've obeyed and nothing happened and you're done. It's when you've talked and tried to share your faith and nothing happened and you've tried again and nothing happened. You've, you've, you've worked hard. you sacrificed to, for some result and there's nothing. And it feels like this discouragement can sometimes come as a direct result of our obedience to God because we did what he asked us to do and nothing happened. Like, like that child that, that has grown up and left the faith. Like we pray for them constantly, pray for them every night. We've pleaded with them, we've talked with them, and nothing's happened. That person that we love and we care about so much that's dealing with that health problem, we've gotten on our knees, we've prayed, we've prayed, we've prayed, and nothing's happened. We've, we've done what we are supposed to do, and now God is supposed to show up, and he hasn't kept up his end of the deal. Elijah has done what he's supposed to do, and it, nothing has changed. Nothing is different. It could be kids. It could be marriage. It could be anything. It could be finances. What, God, we're trying to do what you want us to do. Can you not show up and, and, and live up to your end of this deal? And it doesn't happen, and we get discouraged. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God's not there. Maybe he's not listening. Maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe something's wrong with my faith. What am I not doing? What's not right? What's wrong? Just, I don't know if you've ever been at the, 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 the depth of despair, but that idea of crawling under a bush and wanting to die maybe isn't that far off for you. That's where Elijah was. Imagine going from seeing God just boom to wanting to crawl under a bush and die in just a matter of moments. It's unbelievable how... Despair and discouragement can work. You've heard the phrase insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Have you heard that? 
Sometimes faith looks like insanity. Sometimes obedience looks like insanity. Doing the same thing, the right thing, the faithful thing, over and over and over again and not getting the results. There's an author by the name of Norman Geisler, and he is this prolific author. You may have not ever heard of him, but you have been influenced by him because people that have influenced you have been influenced by him. He's written hundreds of books, hundreds of articles. And, uh, and, and just because you haven't heard of him doesn't mean it's not like he's made some sort of impact in your life. He's this apologetics author that just makes all these great arguments about the existence of God. And he tells this story about a nine-year-old kid that this family had picked up for church every Sunday. They picked him up. They went out of their way, and they picked this kid up for church every Sunday. And it was this small church that was full of people who, you know, they steer every conversation to God. Like, have you accepted Jesus yet? Have you, you know, yeah, uh, well, hey, the weather, it's really hot. Been hot today. Well, you know what's really hot? Hell, have you accepted Jesus today? You know, it's one of those, one of those kind of churches. And uh, as Geisler tells the story, every Sunday this kid would come, but he just didn't respond. Never showed any interest. Hey, do you want to you get baptized this Sunday? No. Nah. Nope, I'm good. Just wanted to get away from parents for a little bit. You know, parents were happy to let their kid go for a little bit. But no, there's nothing. There's no spark. There's no fire. There's no nothing. Picking them up all the time. And they did, they did this for years. And, and Sunday after Sunday, the kid was like, thanks, but no thanks. And you, and you wonder, if you're that person that's picking that kid up, you wonder, at what point is this just a waste of everybody's time, right? When is this, you know, you're thinking, well, it's never a waste of people's time. But you've been in moments like that where you've tried to do the same thing again and again and again and again and again, and you've just wanted some result and nothing's happening. At what point is this just a waste of time? At what point are we not getting anywhere? Elijah's doing the right things. At what point is this just insanity, right? Nothing's, hap- nothing's changed, God. I'm kind of glad Elijah is bummed out. I'm kind of glad. I was talking to an acquaintance the other day, and despite my very best efforts, the conversation turned serious. And they started talking about some problem they were having as a family, and, uh, and, and, and they explained what it was. And I broke, them, I broke into this conversation. This is a true story. broke into this conversation without thinking. I said, I am so glad to hear you're struggling with that. And I was. That was like my gut reaction. I, I, that's what I told them. I was like, I am so glad to hear that you're struggling with that. And they kind of were like, mm, you're a psycho. What's, what are you talking about? I was like, no, our family goes through that too. And I, honestly, I thought maybe we were just, just bombing the whole family thing. I'm kind of glad to know that somebody else is struggling with that. that. That's actually a little bit of a relief. Have you, ever, have you ever been talking to somebody that you respect, that you admire, and they just say something offhand? Like maybe you're talking with them, you know, and they say something like, well, my, my wife and I were arguing the other day. And that's not even the point of the conversation. And you're like, shut the front door. You have the perfect marriage, and you guys were arguing? That makes me feel so much better. It's kind of nice to know that other people go through some of the same things. It's kind of helpful to know that maybe sometimes other people we know and that we admire and that we think are filled with faith go through discouragement. In fact, if there is a common thread throughout all the heroes of the faith, men and women, this is probably it. That at some point in their faithfulness to God, they got ultra discouraged. It happened to Moses. It happened to Abraham. It certainly happened to Elijah. It happened to Hannah. It happened to John the Baptist. Just, is this right? Am I doing this right, God? Or is this, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this what we're looking for? At some point in their relationship with God, they got discouraged. It's kind of comforting to know that discouragement is normal. But we as a culture, we as a church culture, do not encourage that sort of encouraging honesty. 
We don't encourage that. We don't ask people to be honest about their life, even, even casually, because that's, hey, everything's great. God's in charge. The sun is shining. Everything's fantastic. Listen, folks, it's not always fantastic. Life is not always great. Things are not always going well. And when you try to present, if you try to deny that, I'm not saying you go, you go around crying all the time. I don't want you coming to church and somebody asks you how you're doing and you just break down, to, down into tears. You know, my garage door opener won't work today. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to mow the lawn. Now my neighbor's going to be upset. I don't, that's not what we're looking for. We're just talking about the fact that there's this, the, the fact that other people deal with these struggles too. It's a struggle that's common to man. I'm glad to see Elijah get discouraged because then maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's not just you. Maybe it's not just us. Maybe there is something here that God can even work through that discouragement. Something comforting to know that discouragement is normal. So, Elijah actually travels for 40 days and 40 nights, kind of a special number if you read your Bible, Um, and he ends up back at Mount Sinai, Uh, and they call it Mount Horeb in this, but it's the same same mountain, and that's where Moses was with the nation of Israel, Mount Sinai, and he he finds a cave, and he crawls in the cave. He's just, he's done. That's it. I mean, you've been like, if I could find a cave, I would crawl into it, and I'd be done finds this cave. And then, this is such an interesting thing. This is what God does. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What, what's going on? I don't know what that tone was. Wouldn't it be interesting to know exactly? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? We don't know. But, but we do sense that, that God knew not everything was right and that God cared. That's the sense you get from that question. That's a good thing to know. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is what Elijah, this is his case. He replied, listen, God, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I have sacrificed. I have prayed. I have done everything I'm supposed to do. I have, I have given everything, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant. I thought this Mount Carmel thing was going to work out, but it didn't work out. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me, God. We're losing here. The clock is about hit zero. It's done. It's over. We've lost. I'm, I'm ready to be done. Throw in the towel. Crawl in the cave. I'm ready to die. This isn't it. And so this is how God replies, verse 11. Lord said unto him, you are such a loser. Get with the program. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. That's what we would say. You guys should read your Bibles to know whether or not that's actually up there. It's not. Verse 11 says this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. This is so interesting. This is the invitation that God offers Elijah in the midst of his despair. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You remember a couple weeks ago when... Moses asked God to pass by, and God said, sure, go out and stand. The Lord is about to pass by. Verse 11 goes on to say, this is, this is interesting. You've heard this before, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, then a great and powerful wind tore, uh, tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then keep going there. For some reason, it's not on the... Go to the next slide, if you would. There we go. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, it's really interesting. The verse implies, but it does not state that God was in the whisper. It never says that. 
We always think, oh, God speaks with a still, small voice. The verse doesn't actually say that, but that's certainly the implication we get from the verse. It doesn't say the Lord was in the whisper. We're assuming he was because it doesn't say he wasn't, right? After the fire came a gentle whisper. And the Bible doesn't explain this verse. It doesn't tell us what he's doing. It, doesn't, it just doesn't explain it. But I wonder, and, and you certainly free to have your own opinion, but I wonder, we want God to be big and audacious and powerful. We want fireballs from heaven, right? When we pray, we want the cancer to be gone like that. We want the doctors to bow down on their knees and praise God because they don't know where the cancer went. And they're like, where do you go to church? I'm coming to get baptized. That's what we want. We want miracles from God. That's what we're looking for. We want big, audacious fantastic, over-the-top, supernatural God working in crazy ways that nobody can deny. We want the fireballs from heaven. We want the prodigal child to show up on our doorstep saying, I believe, take me back. Oh, great, sure, come on in. We want the answer to prayer to just be immediate and obvious. We want that, that testimony that, that we can just share with our coworker, and they're just moved to tears, and they just want to accept God right then and there. Wouldn't that be awesome? We want God to transform people overnight. But sometimes, and this is what I think this may mean, I could be wrong, but sometimes God is substantially more subtle and quiet than what we want. But this does not mean he's not working. This does not mean he's not with us. We should not mistake God's quietness for God's absence. We should not mistake God's quietness for God's absence. God, where are you? I'm still here. I'm still doing stuff. Don't worry, Elijah. You can hang out in your cave and I'll still be working, but... Verse 13. The voice asked him again. It's not on the screen. You just have to look at it. The voice asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says the same thing again, but I I think there's less indignation in his voice. Like, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. And then in verse 15, God gives Elijah a to-do list. He's like, all right, we've got to clean this up. You need to get back to work, Elijah. Get out of this cave. Get back to work. And I think that sometimes what we need is just something to do, by the way. Sometimes discouragement happens because we're just not doing anything. Sometimes we just need to get up and do something. And then he says in verse 16, he says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, you know your estimate about you being the only one left? You were off by 6,999, buddy. There's a lot going on that you don't know about because I'm God and I know everything and you're not and you don't. Just relax. Assume the best. Now, I think... um, I think this might be the lie of discouragement, that it's not going to work, it's done, it's over, nothing's ever going to change, the people of Israel aren't going to change, you prayed and nothing happened and nothing is going to happen, you tried to reconcile that relationship but nothing happened and nothing is going to happen, you tried to share your faith but nothing happened and nothing's going to happen, the game clock is down to .01 seconds, you're down, it's over, throw in the towel, that's it. And God is telling Elijah, look, those fireworks on Mount Carmel, that wasn't the finish line. That wasn't it. That's not over. The clock hasn't hit zero. The game isn't over. There's still work to do. There's still things going on. There's still things that God is asking you to do. You've been praying, keep praying. You've been working, keep working. You've been sacrificing, keep sacrificing. You've been giving, keep giving. You got, there's still work to do. The game is not over yet. You're on the last lap. Keep running. Don't give up yet. Don't start celebrating too soon. That's what Elijah did. He started celebrating too soon. He started pumping his fist up in the air before the game was over. He went and he thought this was it. He started celebrating too soon. And God says, the game's not over yet, buddy. There's still work to do. Of course, as that story goes, the, the, the kid who was picked up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday but never got it was the author himself, Norman Geisler, and he tells his story, and you're like, well, twist ending. He said that this family picked him up 
for 400 Sundays before something clicked. He, he talks about somebody presented the gospel, which they had <laughs> hundreds of times before, but 400th Sunday, that's it. And that was it. That was, that was the moment. That was it. And he, he asks this question to himself all the time. He says, what if that family had stopped at 398? What if they'd stopped at 398? Listen, Norm, this is just not working, buddy. It's not going to happen. I mean, we, we gave you lots of chances, and the Bible says, dust the, the, don't throw your pearls before swine. Dust the dirt off your feet. Move on, buddy. It's been 398. Listen, God, whatever it is you're doing that you're getting discouraged about, the praying, the giving, the sacrifice, the obedience, don't stop at 398. Don't stop at 398. Maybe God's got you going to 400. Maybe there's more that you need to do and you're getting discouraged because you think this should be the finish line. I should be breaking the banner. I should be throwing up my hands in victory and I'm not there yet. And God's saying, we're not there yet. There's still more work to do. Don't stop at 398. You're not the only one. I've got lots going on behind the scenes. Discouragement tells us this. Discouragement tells us you are the only one. God reminds us there are 7,000 other people discouragement lies to us and says, give up, game over. And God says, listen, the clock hasn't hit zero yet. There's time. I, Jesus hasn't come back. There's time yet. You're not dead. There's time yet. Discouragement says there's nothing to hope for. God says, we have a hope that does not disappoint. He's guaranteed you that your hope will not result in disappointment. Do you believe in that promise? That's a wonderful promise. If you haven't listened to last week's message, you've got to get online Frankly, if you have some headphones, you can get online right now and listen to it. It's that good. But it's about God's promise and God's coming through with his promises. Discouragement lies to us and says it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. There's never going to be the results you want. God says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you'll reap a harvest. Discouragement says, listen, nothing is happening. It lies to us. Nothing's happening. And God says, listen, I work in earthquakes and I work in whispers. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Discouragement says that God is only on the mountaintop. And God reminds us, nope, I'm in the caves. I'm in the deserts. I'm under the bushes. I'm in the valleys. I'm there. I'm everywhere. God reminds us he's everywhere. Discouragement tells us the cross is the end of the story and Jesus' death and that's it. And, there's, and God reminds us, wait, give it three days. There's something good cooking up. Don't stop at 398. Go to 400. So whatever it is that you've been doing that you're feeling like this is just not, it's no results. Keep praying, keep sharing, keep giving, keep sacrificing. I don't know. What it, let me ask you this question. What is it for you that's going to take 400 Sundays? And you're ready to throw in the towel. Most of us are ready to throw in the towel after one Sunday. Well, that didn't work. I guess God's not going to do anything in my life. What's going to take 400 Sundays for you? What sort of faithfulness is God asking? What sort of obedience is God asking? What sort of, what sort of sacrifices are, is God asking? It's going to take 400 Sundays to see the results of what he's asking you to do. Or longer. What is it? We feel like, you know, this is it. It's over. I'm giving up. That's all. That's all she wrote. We, we gave it a shot. And you know what? We don't leave the church. We just settle in to apathy and complacency and faithlessness. And God says, don't give up. 
The clock has not struck zero yet. It's not over. There's another lap to go. Do not give up. There's so many verses in the scripture that I wanted to to draw from in Romans about the God of encouragement and endurance. And and in Galatians chapter 6, that do not grow weary in doing well, for in due time you'll reap a harvest. I mean, do not give up. This is the discouragement is the enemy. And you don't have to deny that it's real because all of God's people have gone through discouragement. But don't misunderstand that God does not want you to give up. God is not telling you to give up. God's never going to tell you to give up. So whatever it is you're thinking, this is it, I'm out, it's over, I'm done, finished. You're not at the finish line yet. You're not at the finish line yet. We're going to wrap up in a word of prayer. We're going to ask Dave to come up, and he's evidently got a special request here at the last minute to, uh, to pray for as well. But I, I just, I'm going to challenge you this week. that You're going to be, there are, if you're anything like me, and maybe it's just my dumb personality, but there are going to be peaks and valleys this week. Today may be a peak, today may be a valley, but you're going to have them, but do not buy into the lie of discouragement. Get back out there, remain faithful, remain giving, remain on task, remain obedient, because God's doing something great. We're going to turn it over to Dave to close us out in a word of prayer.